Good morning, everybody. Yeah, we're going to talk about uh, Christian atheism. I'll tell you what that is in just a second, but as we're taking our offering, I just kind of want to talk about something else that's going on in our world. Football season is here. Yeah. Uh, professionals start today. Colleges started a couple weeks ago. High schools started even before that. And uh, I think one of my favorite brands of uh, football, competitive football, is high school football. Uh, my, my high school didn't have a football team. I regretted that my, uh, my whole uh, high school career. Would have loved to have played, but... Uh, in my various ports of call as a pastor, I've been in uh, Dallas, Texas, and now in Florida, football reigns supreme in those states. And uh, so here's what I know about football games at a high school uh, uh, venue. There are four groups of people that are a part of that football experience. First ones aren't a part of the football experience. There's what I, those are what I call non-fans. Uh, when I just started about uh, talking about football, some of you are like, uh, meh, whatever. Uh, yeah, there they are. They're raising their hands. Proud non-football fans. There they are. Um, uh, they don't go to the games because they don't care about the games. They don't care about the, the sport. Uh, they could, you know, care less if they ever watched another one uh, or a game at all. And so they're the non-fans. Everybody agree they're not represented here on the stage because they're not at the game, all right? <laughs> but there are some who are at the game, like this guy. This guy is a fan. Uh, he goes to his high school. He bleeds the colors of his school. He knows all the fellows playing in the games. He yells their names as the games are going on. Uh, but for whatever reasons, maybe uh, limited talents or just whatever, he, he didn't want to be, no, no offense, no offense, no, I, I love this guy. Uh, he, he, he isn't a part of the team. He's a huge fan, but he's not a part of the team. Now you move uh, closer to the field and you get to these guys. These guys have the jersey. They're on the team, uh, but they're not in the game. Okay, settle down if you're from there, okay? Yeah, uh, now, there, have you ever noticed that in a high school football game? There's 11 guys on the field, uh, but there's 150 guys on the sidelines. It's like everybody in the school gets a jersey, I guess, except this dude. Anyway, uh, <laughs> just kidding, man. So uh, you can't put everybody on the, on the, in, in the game, so, so you know, they hand clipboards to people, and they take stats, and they, uh, maybe they're here because you know, they, they didn't do well in the classroom, or they're just you know, not ready to play or injured. I don't know, but they're, they're there. They're wearing the jersey but they're not in the game. Bench players, everybody with me? We got fans, we got bench players, and then we got these guys, the titans of the gridiron, right? The ones who go out there and they, uh, they stick their head in the middle of uh, huge piles of large males and uh, uh, they get smacked around and the snot bubbles come out and uh, they're, they're the, the determiners of the outcome of the game. They're the players on the team, on the field. We thank these guys for coming out and helping me with the sermon this morning. Give it up for these guys. Now, some of you have come here for the first time and are like, really? That's what he's going to do? No, this, this has totally everything to do with what we're talking about today because I would compare uh, the Christian world to a football game. All right, this whole Christian idea of ours, this, this belief, this faith. I don't like calling it a religion. You'll see why in a little bit, but... Uh, but this, this movement that is the cause of Christ, uh, it has at least four groups uh, that are a part or not a part of it. The first ones are the non-fans. We've been talking about them this whole previous uh, series. They're, we call them our neighbors. They're not here. Uh, it's Sunday morning. They're doing whatever they do on Sunday morning. We're hanging out. Uh, they don't believe in God yet. Uh, maybe they once believed in God, and they're kind of out on him right now because they were burned in some church situation. Or they just kind of fell into what the world is all about, and they're happy there, right? But there's a lot of people who just aren't coming to the game. 
They're just not here. And we need to have a heart for them. And if you're one of them, by the way, let me, let me say this. I don't want to alienate people. If you're here this morning for the first time after not being a part of this conversation, so glad you're here. It's kind of it's why we exist, because we want more people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. And I pray and trust that as we talk about him today, you'll get a better idea who he is. And, and hopefully the Holy Spirit, I believe there is a God. He's got a, a spirit who leads us. He's kind of like a tractor beam. And he, uh, he's appointed your time to be with us, and this might be your day if you put your faith in Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? But there's non-fans. Now, here in this room, there are people that I would call fans of God. Like the idea of a sovereign. Like the idea of a deity. It's, it's cool. In fact, we grew up in America and we believe in the Christian form of this deity. And, and I actually, uh, you know, have been a part of this culture for a long time. So it's just natural for me to be here in church on Sunday mornings. Uh, you might be able to quote me a few scriptures. For God so loved the world. Oh, you even know that. See, so there, we, there we are, right? And, and, and you might, you, 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 listen, uh, you've got the accent down, put it that way. You, you, you know Christianese, and you speak it fluently. But, but here's the thing. The Bible talks a ton about fans of God, and I'm going to show you some verses that describe them. And, and I want to let anybody in here who is just a fan of God in on this, this very important truth. Just knowing about God doesn't mean that you know God. You can know of him, but not know him, and then you'll see not be known by him. Mental assent to the existence of a God does not a Christian make. But, you know, churches are full of people who are excited about the idea of God, and they don't know him yet. I call them fans. Maybe that's you. Now, there's this other group of people over here that I call bench warmers. You know God. You put your faith in Jesus at some point. You've made that decision to know and follow him. Uh, but you're not fully engaged in the life that he's called you to. You're not in the game. Now, I talk about this a lot around here. If you haven't been around, this is one of my favorite examples. We talk around here as a church that we, want, we exist to surrender to God. We want to be fully surrendered to God, all of us, every part of us. And here's what you and I mostly do in life. We do this. You can have all of this, God, everything that you see out here in front is yours. you got Sunday morning, Wednesday night. I did a wanna, 165 kids this week. Somebody come and help. Anyway, <laughs> but you can have all of these times and all of these things in our life, but you can't have this. You can't have this area of uh, sin or this, this uh, anger, this bitterness, this whatever. You can have all of this, but I'm not going to put this in the game. And I call these people bench warmers. I mean, there's varying degrees of bench warmers. There's some people who are closer to the field than others, right? But uh, it's way easy in this Christ life to relegate ourselves to the bench. So there's some who think they know God and don't, not even on the team. There's some who are on the team and they're not engaged. Here's what I'm hoping for as your pastor I'm hoping for a, a church full of players on the team, on the field. I mean, we're not going to make every play perfectly. We're not going to do everything 100% all the time. We're, we're, we're going to have days. Anybody had days? Talked to some people after last service about some of their days. You're going to have days. But at least in the hearts of the men and women who call Bay Life Church home, I want to be a church full of people who are on the team and on the field. I'd love to take all these 
these chairs, the chairs a non-fan sits in, the chairs a fan sits in, the chairs a bench warmer sits in, just stack them up and put them all on the chair that is the player on the field. I want us all to be there. It's my heart and hope for us all. It's my heart and hope for my life. And that's what I want to talk about as we go through this series called Christian Atheists. I got the idea from a book. Uh, it's a, written by this guy named Craig Grishelli. He's a pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, a great communicator. Uh, his, his writing style is really easy to get through. If you're not a book reader, you could read this book, okay? Uh, and I'm going to borrow liberally from it. I, I'm not, these aren't my original ideas. I'm, I'm ripping Craig off, but I think they're important enough that we talk about them. Uh, this is what Craig says a Christian atheist is. He says a Christian atheist is someone who believes in God but lives as though he doesn't exist. To whatever degree, to, to whatever uh, uh, areas of your life that that uh, pertains to, Whenever you say you believe in God, but then in some area of your life act like he doesn't exist, you are, what the Bible calls in James, double-minded. You are a Christian atheist. Christian in principle, atheistic in practice. Now, that, that could be a, a, a good definition for every sin. When a Christian sins, they go back to atheism because they choose to do something that basically precludes that there is no God and no consequence for what I'm doing. Christian atheism happens all the time. Even in the best Christian's life, we slip back into unbelief and the old ways uh, that we were saved from. And I'm here in these next four weeks, and uh, for the next however long, gives me in, in life with you to help stamp out Christian atheism, to help move people from being non-fans to fans, from fans to bench warmers, and from bench warmers to fully on the field and fully on the team. I'd love to skip some of those stages if we could. But that's my hope for us. Now let's talk about this. Um, this whole thing about us believing in God but living as he, if he doesn't exist is just completely inconsistent with the gospel. John, who's one of the disciples of Christ, wrote a letter. Uh, the first letter is called 1 John. And he says this in chapter 2 of that letter to the, his readers. He says, by this we know that we have come. And this is the word he uses. We're going to talk a lot about knowing God today. Um, uh, we're going to talk about the fact that a lot of people believe in God but they don't know him. So, so we know uh, that we have come to know God if we what? If we keep his commandments. If we do what he says. If there's something that, that changes in our life. If we, if we get off the bench and into the game. We start doing what we know to do. It's evidence of the fact that we know. If we aren't doing what we know to do, refuse to do what we know to do, uh, it, it's evidence that maybe we don't know. Or at least there's a vagueness there that shouldn't be. Now, some of you are like, well, that seems kind of harsh. Oh, just wait, verse 4. He's going to take the gloves off on this one. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's not very Christian-y at all. Shouldn't he say something like, he is deceived. Uh, he has been duped. Like it's somebody else's fault, right? No? Anyone who acts... Uh, like God doesn't exist when he says that he is my, my, my Lord. He's a liar in that moment. He goes on and he says this. He says, uh, uh, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected, conversely. And by this we may know that we are in him. And look at verse 6. I haven't read it yet this morning. But whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. Did the bar just go up for everybody just then? Should have. 
some people, when I think about these people who are kind of either fans of God or bench warmers of God, they, they kind of have this mentality that I'm just dating Jesus. We're, we're, we're not serious. We're involved. We've gone out a couple times. But, but it's nothing, you know, concrete. You know, it's great to see them when I see them. You know, it's great to be around. It's great to have the, the opportunities that I have with them. But, you know, the rest of my time is the rest of my time. And, and knowing him and being in a relationship with him doesn't affect how the rest of my life goes. Some people even argue this, you know, uh, I hear this a lot from, from especially fans of God. They, they, they argue that um, they've done enough somehow uh, to, to win over God and that they don't have to know him or care about him or, or you know, they, they've logged enough minutes. Uh, and, and that's what's going to make the difference uh, when they leave this life and, and are, you know, asked if they deserve to be in heaven. They're going to say, yeah, I did a lot of great things. But everybody remembers what Jesus said about the great things we do, right? If you don't, here it comes. Matthew chapter 7, end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who talks a good game is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, that's the one who gets in. Uh, this is the argument that people are going to give God. Uh, and the argument that I hear from people sometimes, I'm a good person. Look, look, look what it says. It says, verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, there it is again, the double Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we do great things for you? I hung out at Awana. Fourth grade boys are active. I put in my time. Didn't I cast out demons? Some of them needed it, right? Not really. Parents of fourth graders, your kids are fine. And didn't I do many mighty works in your name? Did everybody see what happened there at the end of each one of those phrases? In your name, in your name, in your name. I did all these things in your name. I did all these things for you. Doesn't that count for something? And Jesus will say on that day, verse 23, I will declare to them, no, doesn't count. Why? And what's the words he uses? I never what? I never knew you. Isn't that interesting? That the gates of heaven... The keys to the gates of heaven come through relationship with Jesus. I never knew you. We weren't, we weren't together. You did a lot of things in my name, but I, you were anonymous when it came to you and me. Depart from me, he says. The Bible's tough sometimes. But I think it's so important that we understand what it says so that we can know how to line ourselves up with what God's, got, what God's given us. This is one of my biggest pet peeves, I guess, in, in our quest as Christians is that a lot of people think they can determine what's going to please God and appease God, and they make up their own gospel. People are great at that. I'll, just, I'll determine what it is that, that makes me worthy of God, thank you very much, and I'll have none of you telling me what that actually is because I'm really the one, the author of, of the gospel, the one true gospel. I went up to see my son Ben uh, on Thursday night. Uh, I brought him a bed. We bought him a bed because he's graduating in December, and I want him to know that that's his bed now. And where, <laughs> wherever he sleeps on it, that's great, but just don't bring it back to my house, right? That's, that's the, anybody, no. I mean, he can stay a, a night or two, but I want him to have his own place. That's his bed. So we had a good laugh about that and um, hung out for breakfast the next morning. 
And then, uh, and then I went uh, on my way back. I played uh, a golf course that I always wanted to play uh, outside of St. Augustine at the World Golf Village called the King and the Bear. And I, I went up there, and I got matched with this one member, 74-year-old uh, Army uh, Cobra copter pilot from Vietnam War. Fascinating guy. Uh, and chatty, just talked. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, right? You may not think that, uh, you know, that would be something that... I'm not a big talker, all right? Like, I'll talk to you for 40 minutes now, and then I'm going to go home and try not to talk, okay? Because I'm just, you know, I, I like quiet. He does not, all right? So on the eighth hole, he found out I was a pastor. Well, the floodgates open. Here we go. I did my first confession. I took a confession on the 12th hole. I've never done that before. I didn't, I didn't have the collar or anything, but I just, he started in. He's like, I'm going to give you my confession. I was like, all right, here we go. So uh, I parred the hole, so maybe I'll start doing that more often. I don't know. But uh, we got to the final few holes, though. And, uh, and I'm praying the whole time. I want to talk to this guy truly about his, because he's, you know, he's, he's doing a lot of religious, talking a lot of religious stuff around me, but I want to know, where are you at? You know, this stage in your life, you're 74, I don't know how much longer you got. Where are you at in your relationship with God? And so I start down that road. And like, you know, as many people are want to do, he's a deflector. He didn't really want to get into what, what the Bible says or what's really true about, because he's come up with his own formula. You know, he is, he is uber confident in the fact that he was sent away to a private boarding school uh, in Massachusetts called Mount Harmon. It was started by this guy, D.L. Moody, all right? I went to his uh, college, but because he went to D.L. Moody's all-boys private school and he learned a bunch, of, a bunch of verses and he served his country, which is honorable. Don't, don't want to down that at all. But he's done all these things that this is going to be enough. And, I, you know, I'm trying to, you know, get in. Well, what if it's not? All this stuff. He's like, no, listen, I'm, you know, I'm not against religious people, so I was like, well, that's great, good, we've been golfing all day, but, uh, um, you know, but it's, you know, to each his own, I hear that all the time, to each his own, like, as if each person can determine their own path to a one true God. L listen to me, if you don't hear anything else I say today, understand this, there is one name under heaven whereby men and women can be saved. Jesus Christ is the way... He's the truth, he's the life, and nobody gets to God except through him. Don't shoot the messenger, that's what he said. And so this whole thing that I'll just pick my way and, and figure out, it, it, it's, it's, it's false, it, it, false truth, it's, uh, whatever that is, jumbo shrimp. But, but it's not true. It's not, it's not accurate. And there's going to be a lot of fans of God who get to eternity, and he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Here's my hope, that in this series, if you don't know him, you meet him. And for real, you give your life to Christ. Here's my hope. In this series, if you're kind of playing around, sitting on the bench, doing this, my prayer is that again, for the umpteenth time, or maybe for the first time, you surrender all of your life to Jesus Christ. Ben was asking me, Dad, how do you make decisions? He's 22 years old. He's going to graduate in December. He's like, how do I, how do I know what to, I'm supposed to do next? It's a valid question. He's got to eat, right? And so we started talking about that. And I thought back to when I was 22. Eleanor and I were just about to get married. And, uh, uh, you know, I was asking the same questions. But I said, Ben, here was the difference maker for me. I just asked God. God, what do you want me to do? God, show me what I'm supposed to do. 
God lead me. And I wasn't, you know, I'm still not an uber Christian. I'm not like, no halo here, okay? But I did have enough sense in my faith to ask God and to let him lead me and Eleanor in life. And he's done a great job at it so far. So that's my hope for all of us, that we would give God the say-so in our lives. And what would happen in a church where that happens? What would happen in a church where everybody got out of the stands, off of the bench, and into the field? Some crazy stuff would go off. I'm just telling you right now. I mean, and I want to see it. I want to see what happens when a whole church, the sleeping giant that is the church of Jesus Christ, when everybody wakes up and we go, what's going to happen then? We're going to make the news. We're going to do something. Because we're not going to be able to contain what the Holy Spirit can accomplish through us if we all get on that field together. So let's recap. Here's what I've been saying if you haven't been hearing me. There, there are some who are fans of God. They know of God, but they don't really know him. They've gone against this one thing that Jesus said in John 17 that is the meaning of life. Did you know that the Bible actually does give you the meaning of life? Jesus says it in one verse. You can memorize it today. Anybody ever ask you, hey, what's the meaning of life? John 17, 3, drop the mic, get out of there, right? This is it. He says, Jesus says this. He's praying before he's about to be crucified. It's the night. He's in the garden. Uh, Judas is about to come and give him a kiss on the, on the cheek. But this is what he prays. He says, this is eternal life. Now, that eternal thing kind of throws some people off. Because when you read eternal in the Bible, you think future. Everybody look at me. You are in the middle of eternity, if there is a middle, because there isn't. But eternity is simply life or existence without time. So eternity doesn't start at the end of your life. You're in the middle of it, or in, you're in eternity, okay? So let's just, let's just be fair, and let's just take eternal out of it so it doesn't confuse us, and let's just read it without it. It says, this is what? Life. This is the meaning of life. Jesus says, this is the purpose of humanity's existence. That they, humans, would know you, the only true God. And that they would know me, Jesus, the one that you have sent. Now, we know from our Christian understandings of things that that's how you get to know God. You put your faith in Jesus, and that opens up to the, uh, the door to our relationship with the one true God. Apart from Christ, sin stands in our way, and we can never truly know God. We'll always be blocked, but because of God's grace to us, through his son Jesus and Jesus' work on the cross, sin costs people, it costs us, it, it, the wages of sin is death. Jesus had to die, this is the gospel if you're not picking it up. Jesus had to die so that we could know God, and that's the purpose of our existence. God created us to know and be in life with him. Sin keeps us from it, so now we need to know him and we get to know him through the saving work of his son, Jesus Christ. But some people, that just kind of, like I just said that again to some of you for the umpteenth time, and it just went, bounces off, you know, the, uh, what, what's the shell that's around the earth that asteroids bounce off of? You know what I'm talking about. Don't, maybe you don't. I don't either. It just bounces off so many times because people are thinking, no, I'll just do it my own way. I'll have my own system. And this is what God has to say about those systems. He says this in Titus. Paul saying uh, this to Titus, who was a pastor of churches and on the island of Crete. He says, there are many in your churches who are insubordinate. They're, they're not in line with what the gospel teaches. They're empty talkers. They're talking a bunch of mess. They're saying a bunch of stuff, but there's no truth in it. They're deceivers. And he lists one of those that's uh, particularly pernicious in their culture. It was the, the, the circumcision party. There was a bunch of Christians in the early church 
or kind of Christians in the early church who said, if you want to be Christian, you've got to be Jewish first. And they would say, you've got to follow all the laws and the rules of the Jewish faith before you can be a part of the Christian faith. They were called the circumcision party, circumcision being one of those signs of the Jews, right? And Paul says to Titus, man, deal with those dudes. They are making a mess of the truth in your churches. And he goes on, and just like John, he doesn't pull any punches. He says they profess, and there it is again, to what? They say they know God. They're talking a good game, but they deny him by the things that they do, the choices that they make. And this is what they are in the eyes of God because they're slightly off from what the real truth is. They're they're detestable and disobedient. They're unfit for any good work. Here's the bottom line. What fans of God don't understand is that when you truly know God, your life changes. It's not just this mental ascent, it's this acceptance of his will and his presence in your life and you start consulting him and his word for the things that you're supposed to do and it changes how you live. And listen, I submit to you that that's how it works in every relationship. When you get to know somebody and you fall in love with that person and you dedicate your life to that person, it changes how you live. I'll use my wife as an example. I met her as a sophomore in college, she was a freshman, and one of my first memories of Eleanor is her walking across the quad or the courtyard in our school, and she was wearing green, uh, low-cut Chuck Taylor uh, tennis shoes, very cool. She had this uh, jacket on called a Tuffy Jack. It was like uh, one of the jackets they'd wear on the docks. Had this big puffy collar, kind of like, you know, dock guys would wear. Very alternative, right? She had one of those uh, shaved on this side, swoopy ski slope, long hair on the other side haircuts. Everybody picture one of those from the 80s? Had a big old dangly, like, fishing lure earring out of her ear right here. Cute as a button, right? And I looked at her and I was like, hmm, Marky like, right? <laughs> and, then, and then I met her. I met her, and one of the first times I met her, I was, I'm still a jokester now, but I was even worse back then, no filter. And I said some stuff, uh, you know, that was probably inappropriate and, and, uh, and, and, you know, very flirtatious. And she gave it right back to me, put me in my place. All my friends who were around me were like, woo, right? And I thought, ooh, she's feisty. <laughs> Marky-like. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, as it were, uh, she worked with a girl who was my sister's roommate who went to the same school, and they worked it out so that we would have a date together. And I called her the night that we had, uh, you know, confirmed that we would go on a date, and I was going to tell her how lucky she was to be going out with me because I was 19-year-old Mark, and I thought everybody would be lucky to be hanging out with me. And so I was in the middle of explaining just how fortunate she was, and she said, wow. You're really full of yourself. First phone call, first three minutes of our phone call. You're really full of yourself. And like she's thinking to herself, I made a mistake agreeing to go out with this doofus. I had never been put in my place like that with any girl in my life. I'd always been awesome, right? So uh, <laughs> I'd never had any girl talk to me that way. And so I didn't know what to do. I faked that I had to go do something and I hung up the phone. And I got off the phone, my initial thought was, how dare her? And then I was like, ooh, Marky-like. <laughs> and I got back on the phone, and I talked to her for like four or five hours that night. And here's what started happening. On that first phone call, my heart started to turn towards this, this young lady. And I started hanging out with her. We didn't even go on our first date for another couple weeks. But I, I, I remember that date like any, no other day in my life. And I remember our first kiss. I will never forget that one. And here's what she, me getting to know Eleanor, here's what happened in my, or what that caused to happen in my life. I became a completely different person. 
I rearranged my schedule so I could stalk her, right? <laughs> I, uh, I left notes on note boards, you know, sappy, lovey-dovey notes. It's like, an, it's like an ancient text, all you young people. And um, uh, called her and talked to her. I mean, listen, we, all through college, we went out and broke up, went out and broke up a couple different times, but she ruined me for every other woman. I'd try to go out with other girls, pretty sweet girls, fit for, you know, being in a relationship with, and I was like, they're just not Eleanor. And eventually God got us together, and it's worked out pretty good for the last 25 years, okay? But, but here's my point. So, so many people think that this relationship with God thing is like, uh, it's like buddy-buddy, friends, Jesus is my pal. He's my co-pilot. No. It's deeper than that. The analogy that Scripture uses to describe Christ and his followers or God and his people is the analogy of marriage. In the Old Testament, Israel was constantly being warned of the harlot, the prostitute, these these foreign religions and foreign ideas that would come into the purity of the uh, Old Testament uh, Jewish faith and steal people away from God. In the New Testament, what, what's the church called? We are the bride of Christ. And that he's the bridegroom. And, and, and what we've got to get our thinking around is that if I pursue God, it's kind of like, uh, uh, or more like, the pursuit of someone that I'm romantically Im- Im- embroiled with. It's, it's way more than buddy-buddy. It's the deepest and most profound kind of love that we're meant to have for our God. And when we get to that level, things with our God start to change. And so that's my prayer for people in here tonight who are fans, or today, who are fans of God. That you'd understand that that's not going to do it. You can't pick your own path. You've got to understand that you need to know God, and you need to let your heart go towards God. Because then in that intimacy, you'll start to change. You'll see things change in your life. It just, it's, it's the product of knowing the one true God. Now, some people know God. If we can go to the next blanks, yeah, some people know God, but they aren't yet in the game with him. They're, they're just not engaged. They're doing this all the time. Uh, it's like they're, they're riding the tram back and forth at the airport. Anybody been to the airport over there in Tampa? You can go from the main terminal where the baggage is out to the other terminals where you get on the planes. How stupid it would be for us to go to the planes or go to the, uh, uh, the airport and just ride the tram back and forth? It's only like, what, 300 yards, something like that? Zing, 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 all day long. They'd want to... You know, Baker Act here, right? This, this guy's not right. But that's what Christians do all life long. Is they get with God and they, they surrender to him. And they, but then there's this one area of your life. My marriage, you know what, God, you're not allowed in here. Because I'm really angry at him or angry at her. And so we're not going to consult you in these things. And, 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 but then it's Sunday again. Let's go see God. Let's go dedicate ourselves to him. But then I go to work and there's this one bozo there. And, and it right? what God wants is us full-time engaged with him in every area of our life, in the game, as a player, 100%. He doesn't understand this whole back and forth thing. Paul intimates as much in the book of Galatians when he says this, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. He's talking to these Galatians about all the things that they've been saved from, the, the pursuits of their appetites, you know, their flesh. He's talking about the former religions that they were in. He's like, you guys, you were godless. You just had all these crazy false ideas about what meaning was in life. And then you found God. He says, you used to be enslaved to those things uh, when you didn't know him. But now that you have come to know God, or rather that he's come to know you, 
All right? How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? He's like, dude, why are you going back? It says in Proverbs, like a dog to his vomit is a man to his sin. There's a whole bunch of vomit lickers in the church. I don't mean, enjoy your lunch. <clears throat> but I hope, you, I hope you, you understand what, I mean, I think that is a profound way of putting it. Because we've been saved. We've been able to, to regurgitate and rid ourselves of all this mess and, and, and be with God instead. But we constantly choose to get on the train and go back to the mess. And Paul's looking at other Christians and he's like, Why? Why would you do that? Like a parent who catches his kid doing something that he knows he's not supposed to do. Anybody had that conversation with your child? You're mad that he did it, but, but the greatest conundrum is why? Why would you do that? And what does the kid say? Oh, I don't know. I got on the tram? I don't know. I pray that God would rescue us from ourselves and that God would release us from whatever stupidity it is that leads us to think that I can handle whatever's behind my back on my own. I want us to all be fully laid out and surrendered to him. Some are fans. They know of God, but they don't know him at all. Some are bench players. They know God, but they're just not constantly in the game. And then the last thing I've been telling you all morning is that some know God, and this is what I hope for all of us, and they daily seek to be in the game with him. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, as Paul prays for the Ephesian church there, the church under his friend Timothy, he says, I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and here it is again, so that you say it with me, so that you may know. Paul doesn't want them to just blindly and without relationship obey. He knows that's just empty works. He says, I want you to know God. And listen, and his, his whole point is, is if you know God, you can't help but do the things that he wants you to do. It will just naturally or supernaturally fall into place. But he hopes for them to know God for more than just their behaviors. He says in verse 18, I, I want you to have the victory that comes from knowing God. Here's what he says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know these things about God, his hope, the hope to which he has called you. You know what hope is? Hope is optimism. I mean, it's lots of other things, but, but at its core, it's, it's living life with optimism, believing that some things that don't seem possible can be possible, that some things that just couldn't work out might work out. And I will submit to you, in my 47 years of living on this planet, my life is categorically better on the days that I have hope over the days that I do not. I am constantly telling people as I counsel them, don't go dark. Don't go dark on your husband. Don't go dark on your wife. Don't go dark on the situation where you can't find a job. Have hope. A dude walked up to me after this uh, last service, been out of work for like nine months. I think longer than that. I'm probably getting the numbers wrong. It's been too long. He finally came in and talked to his pastor. Because he's getting to the end of his rope. He's eminently qualified to do lots of great jobs, but he just can't find one that'll take him. It's been discouraging. You know what we talked about for an hour? Hope. When every else, everything else seems to be failing and, and there, there seems to be no chance 
of being employed, we believe that God is able. Uh, you got a job Wednesday. He starts in a couple weeks, right? Should have came and seen the pastor sooner, right? <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with it. But I was a part of his story just to keep him going as a follower of Jesus Christ in the hope that we have. If you, if you know God, you have hope. If you forget about God or kind of block him out, you lose hope. It's just how it works. But the knowledge of God, intimacy with God, it just comes with. It's part of the app. It's the download. He gives you hope. He gives you confidence. Look what it says next. The riches of, listen, I, I pray that you'll, you'll know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, that's, you got to read that one right. Because a lot of people read that and they read the riches of his glorious inheritance for his holy people. And they start this whole blab it and grab it theology, this whole prosperity gospel that says, God is here to make me rich. God has given me this inheritance of riches in my life, and I'm supposed to be rich if I'm a Christian. False. Anybody hear a testimony to that? <laughs> yeah, it's not true. And it, and it doesn't even say that. It says, the riches, I want them to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You know what his glorious inheritance is? You know what the riches of God are? His holy people. It's us. And so what does that mean? You're like, it's a big deal. Well, that means that God esteems us, his people, above everything else that he's created. Take the whole universe, put us against it, he chooses us. You know how I know? Because everything else, once this earth is ended, the Bible reports us. Everything else is going to be redone. The only thing that persists is us. New heaven, new earth, new everything. But he keeps us. He esteems us. And some of you still aren't picking up what I'm putting down. God is crazy about you. He sent his son to die for you. He loves you. He is for you and not against you. And that is a difference maker in every situation in life. I can't guarantee that everything's going to go great. We live in a messed up sinful world. Stuff's going to break, all right? But even in the broken stuff, you have a God who loves you without fail. And he stands by you. And regardless of your circumstances, look at this last one, and I'll let you go, maybe. He says, I want you to know his incomparably great power for us who believe. See, these are all things that come with this deeper intimacy with God. You, you got hope. You got confidence because he's your treasure. Or he, you're his treasure. He should be your treasure. But he treasures you above all things. And he is powerful, able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could ask or think, right? He is the ultimate redeemer, reconciler, restorer, rescuer. He does it all. And he comes in when we are at the very end of ourselves. And he gives us enough to face the next day, the next week, the next month. He gives us, and, and we don't even notice it most of the time, he, he just lavishes grace upon grace on us. Just grace upon grace on us. Everybody hold up your hands. If you've got two of these, that is God's grace. Everybody point to your eyes. If these things work and you can see me right now, that is God's grace. You with me? Everybody take a deep breath. Ready? Let it out. The Bible tells us that we live and move and have our being that he is the very air we breathe, right? 
And it all comes from God and his grace. He's our sustainer. He's all-powerful. He'll see us through anything. And listen, these are the things that change your life when you finally realize them. When you know and understand God on that level. Trust and faith and confidence and perseverance, they just, they're just part of it. You know, lots of people, you can just tell kind of how they perceive God by what they call him. Some people call him the big man upstairs, right? The big guy in the sky. But I, I know how much people know me by what they call me. If you, if you call me sir, I'm probably being served by you at a restaurant. You don't know me. I'm just hopefully going to tip you, right? If you call my house and you call me Mr. Sanders, I tell you he's not here because you said my name wrong and you don't really know me. You're just trying to sell me something, right? I'm Mr. Saunders, if you're wondering, not Sanders. Some of you call me Pastor Saunders. You know where I work, but you don't really know me. Some of you call me Pastor Mark. That means you go to my church. You know my first name, but you may not really know me. Some of you call me Mark. That's what I prefer. We're getting closer. Some of you call me Buckethead. That's what they called me in college. Don't call me Buckethead. But you knew me when if you called me Buckethead. But you know what? There's four people on this earth that call me Dad. And that name kind of carries a little different level of intimacy. There's one person on this earth who calls me Babe. Don't anybody else call me that. But she's the closest one to me in my life. Right? You, you get a lot out of a name. So if you're calling God the man upstairs, the big guy in the sky, the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. If you call that's, that's from a movie. If you call him anything like that, then you're probably not as intimate with him as you need to be. Because here's what he wants you to call him. You know what he wants you to call him? Father. He wants you to call him Savior. He wants you to call him healer. He wants you to know him. And my question to you today as we close is, do you? If you're a non-fan, it's time to start figuring them out. The whole reason you exist is to know God in the one of these sent, Jesus Christ. If you're a bench warmer, it's time to straighten it out. Don't be relying on all your stuff and all your plans to get to heaven. Comply to the one that was given to you. Know Jesus and give him all your life. If you're a bench warmer, it's time to let go of whatever you've been holding on to lay it all at the feet of Jesus so that we can all be on the field and in the game with this God who made us so that we can experience his best for our lives. Can I pray? Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your word and a chance to open it today. And I pray that wherever we're at, whatever chair we find ourselves in, whatever's been going on in our lives, you would lead us to your best and that we'd honor you in it. Take us uh, into that, that space, that area of life where we're fully devoted to you and fully engaged with you. Help us to know you more. That's my prayer. It's the prayer that Paul had for the Ephesians. God, it's my prayer for Bay Life Church that we would know you, know you better, so that following you would be all the more easier. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that we could know you. Thank you, God, for saving us through Jesus, and I pray it in his name. Everybody said? Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. If you've got questions, I'll be over here in the corner.